Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Get in and look at the uh, next handful of verses in Romans chapter number 10. Last week we covered Paul's prayer and Paul's desire for for his people. If you remember back, and I know we covered this last week, but in verse number 9 he said, My desire is... In chapter number 10, after spending a whole chapter talking to these Roman people about the sovereignty of God, he says that my desire and my understanding of the sovereignty of God has produced in me a prayer to God. And what we kind of see happening in these verses is Paul's desire is kind of, I don't know if promoted is the right way to say it, but his desire was fueled from the truth that he'd understood and it was also fueled from the point that the Israel, at least corporately, the Israelites had, had been missing. Um, there was a story I'd heard about a guy who, for his wife's 40th birthday, wanted to make a big deal about it. So he asked her what she wanted. And she said to him, I'd like to be a six again. What he heard is, I'd like to be six again. So he spends this whole day making a party for her of things to do that she would have liked to do when she was six years old. And she, trying to enjoy it, didn't say anything to him. When they got home, she asked him, she said, well, or he asked her, he said, he said, how did you enjoy your day? And he said, honest, she said, honestly, it kind of tired me out. Um, I'm not as young as I used to be. And to that, he said, well, you said you wanted to be six again. And she said, no, I said, I wanted to be a six again. And she was talking about her dress size, not her age. But he had missed the point. That was the whole point of that little story was he had missed the point. And that's what the Jews had done. And that's what we're going to continue to see that the Jews had done as we move through these handful of verses in chapter number 10. So we'll read chapter, verse number five down to verse number 10. And this is coming off of what we looked at last week. This is coming directly off of the fact that Paul had said that he wanted Israel to be saved. And interestingly enough, when Paul said he wanted them to be saved, he wasn't just talking about them to be redeemed from their sins. But what Paul was saying is, I want Israel to be redeemed in the way that they were told they were going to be. Basically what Paul was saying, he said, I want them to see the spiritual side of what they're looking for physically. Because we understood that the Jews were looking for that physical kingdom. They were looking for the physical Messiah to come in and just take names and take over. And that's not, didn't what he, it's not what he came to do. The, the, the real thing that he came to do, he didn't come to take names, but he brought names with him. Of which he was going to pay for their sins. And they had missed that point. And Paul said, what I want for them is I want them to be redeemed. I want them to be saved so they can experience 
some of this fulfillment now and eventually the fulfillment later of what they were looking for. He talked about them having a zeal but not to knowledge. And he ends up and he says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone that believeth. So he gives that, he said, for everybody who believes, Christ is the end of the law. And again, we looked at that word. It means the, the terminal in essence is what it means. Christ is where the law finds its ending place, its goal. The law was just something to point us to Christ. And he continues down after saying that, the, that Christ is the end of the law or the goal of the law or the terminal of the law for all who believe and continues and says, For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law. And then he says, this is basically he's going to tell us what Moses said. He said that the, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. So he's saying the man that does the things of the law shall live by the things of the law. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And he's going to tell us what this word of faith that he's preaching is. That if thou confess with thy mouth, Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And he clarifies, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And what Paul is getting ready to do in verses 11 through roughly verse 16 and 17 is he's going to reverse engineer how we gain salvation. I know in, when I started in the job that I'm working in, I built pumps. So what I did in order to learn how to build a pump correctly is I took a pump apart. And that's what Paul's going to do with salvation. He's going to take salvation apart so he can show us how it correctly goes together. But right before he does that, he wants to show us the progression of the confession of salvation. And he does that in three different ways. He, he, he in essence, uses the voices of two different people. In verse number 5, he uses the voice of the law through Moses. In the beginning of verse number 6, he uses the voice of faith. And if you notice in verse number 6, he says, Faith speaketh on this wise. So he's saying, faith is saying this to you. Verses 6 and 7, Paul shows us an impossible task. And then verses 8 through 10, he shows us what we're terming as the progression of confession. And if we're going to understand all of this text, we're going to have to bring a light with us to hold over this text of Scripture. Just like anywhere else and anybody else, if I say so-and-so said this, and it, you know, make up whatever you want them to say, but I leave out the context in which they say it, or I say so-and-so said this, but you weren't there to hear the conversation that we were having, so you don't know the context in which they said it, then you're not going to be able to grasp the whole picture of what was said. And that's what Paul's going to do here. And what we're going to have to do with this is we're going to have to bring the light of the Old Testament and overlay these verses of Scripture because Paul references verses in the Old Testament to explain these verses of Scripture. So we're going to look in Leviticus and we're going to look in Deuteronomy and see what Paul quoted, see the context of what Paul quoted, 
And that's going to help us understand what Paul's saying to these, specifically to these ethnic Jews that are in Rome. So first he speaks in or with the voice of the law. And again, we see that in verse 1. He says, Moses described the righteousness which is of the law. And Moses said that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. And if your Bible has a cross-reference section in it, or if you were to look at the cross-references for this verse, Paul is directly quoting from Leviticus 18, verse number 5. So, let's turn to Leviticus 18 and verse number 5. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 18 and verse 5, the Bible says, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. So Paul, quoting Moses in Leviticus, says that if you live by the law, you're going to live in the law. But he's saying that in a specific way that these Jewish Romans are going to be able to understand. See, Romans, again, pointing us to Leviticus 18, is speaking of the Israelites in going into the new land that they're going to be in. And we can, we can read that if we go, go a couple of verses above in the beginning of chapter number 18, Moses said in verse number two, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the, th after the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, where, wherewith I will bring you, shall you not do. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. So what Moses was saying to the children of Israel and what Paul was quoting is he was saying, if you live by these statutes, then you are going to live in the land of Canaan like I promised you. The covenant that God was making with His people through Moses was a covenant contingent on them doing what they were supposed to do. But they couldn't do it. They knew they couldn't do it. They wouldn't admit that they couldn't do it, but they knew that they couldn't do it. And what do we see as soon as they get into the land of Canaan, what happens? If you read the book of Judges, you're going to see over and over and over, they don't do what they said they were going to do. They don't do what God told them to do. They do what they want to do. Over and over and over, they just do what they want to do. Because they're not capable of doing what God told them to do themselves. And what Paul is going to convey to them is that just like you couldn't do what God told you to do, to get into the promised land, and just what you didn't do that God told you to do to stay in the promised land, you can't do to get to God. You see, it's almost like, and I don't know if anybody else, Brother Charles, you may, you may get some, at least some humor out of this. Were you ever told, or have you ever told anybody, this is not a tool to be used in this way? Is a screwdriver a pry bar? Is a knife a screwdriver? There are certain things that you know that do not work 
And to use an illustration that I'd heard from somebody, what the Israelites had tried to do in the Old Testament is they had tried to take the law that they could not fulfill themselves and fulfill it themselves doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. They were taking what God had never intended on them to use in that way, and they were using it in the way that God had never intended them to use. They were taking a screwdriver and making a pry bar out of it. Or they were taking a pocket knife and making a screwdriver out of it. And I know by experience, what happens if you try to use a pocket knife as a screwdriver? You're going to break the end off of it, and you're not going to have a pocket knife or a screwdriver after that. But Paul goes a little bit further in what he's conveying them because remember, he just got done talking about God's sovereignty and salvation. He starts talking about the responsibility of man in salvation. So he's, he's, he's explained to us how to get to God. He's explaining that salvation is what he's doing. And he said, Moses said that if you do the things that were in the law, then you could live in the land of Canaan. That's what he means when he said that they will live by them. You'll be able to live the way that you were promised that you could live, contingent on your ability to do the things that you promised that you would do. But in terms of salvation, he's saying you tried to use that screwdriver as a pry bar, or you tried to use this knife as a screwdriver, but now you're taking it even farther than that. It would almost be, again, to use an illustration that I heard, it would almost be like you driving up into a mechanic shop because you have a dent in your door and the mechanic has a bent screwdriver and he's going to use that bent screwdriver to fix the dent in your door. And then he says, well, you know what? I'm going to clean your windows, fix your upholstery, everything that's wrong with your car. I'm going to fix all of it with this bent screwdriver. I mean, I think everybody in here would probably at that point get in your car, put it in reverse and leave because this dude's obviously crazy. But that's what the Jews were doing. They were taking a bent screwdriver or a broken pocket knife and they were trying to get to God with these things that hadn't worked before. And Paul is trying to explain to them the, the ignorance, if not the, the complete craziness, of trying to use the law to get to God when it didn't even keep you in the promised land. And that's why we have prophecies in the book of Micah in the book of Obadiah, in the book of Amos. All of these things where the children of Israel, they end up going into captivity because they did not do what God had told them to do. But even in those books, he's promising what we're getting ready to see. He promises them that God is going to do the work for them. Just like he wanted to do in the beginning, but they continuously wanted to do things their own way. And that's where we find ourselves most of the time. Wanting to do things our own way. Wanting to take our bent screwdrivers and our broken pocket knives and somehow fix our own Christianity and fix our own life. And what Paul is explaining to us is that it's not about using the wrong or the right tools. It's about letting the right physician or the right mechanic, if we want to use those terms, not to bring God down to those things, but it's about getting the right person to do the work, not having the right tool to do the work. Verse number six, Paul leaves off the voice of law saying, if you couldn't even stand the promised land through the voice of the law, what makes you think you're getting to God from the voice of the law? And he goes and he says that there is somebody else who has something that they want to say to you. 
In verse number six, he says, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. So he said, the righteousness of faith is coming in to say something to you. Faith wants to interject in what you're doing. Say not in thine heart who will ascend into heaven. And Paul clarifies to say that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. And Paul again is looking at these things from a portion of Scripture in the Old Testament that these Jewish people would have known. Because that's the Bible that they had. They would have known these. So uh, we'll go over to Deuteronomy and we'll look at chapter number 30. And Paul's not pitting Deuteronomy and Leviticus against each other. And he's not even pitting the Old Testament against the New Testament. And we're going to see some of that. But what Paul is doing is he's using the words of God through his man Moses to explain what was coming. So in Deuteronomy 30, we'll just go ahead and read verses 12 and 13. And we're going to come back and reference some of these again. But verse 12 and 13 is where we find this quotation. It says, is not, is, It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Well, what's, what's he talking about? What is Moses talking about? What are the people here talking about? Well, if we go to verse number 5, we can see what he's talking about. Verse number 5 of chapter 30 says, And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land. So the same thing that we were just talking about, he's talking about the same thing here. He'll bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed. Pointing us back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, before they went with Joseph over to Egypt, the land that their fathers possessed. We're going back there. And thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. Verse number 6, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, and don't miss that, and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul that thou mayest live. Moses in his address, this is the last thing that Moses says to the children of Israel before he dies. Is saying, you don't have to do this. You, of all people, should see what your own obedience gets you because it got you 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness. And it's got me death before I can even go into the promised land. That's what my own obedience got me. But he says... God has promised that if you'll be his people, he'll circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed so that you love God and you do the things that he has commanded you to do. And that's what he's saying. He's saying the response to that, you don't have to say, do we have to go to heaven to get those things that God wants us to do? Or do we have to go over the seas to get the things that God wants us to do? No, we don't have to do either one of those things. And that's the voice of faith. The voice of faith is a plan was put into place for God's people from the beginning. 
The children of Israel were given the same plan that we were given. All they had to do was have faith in the promise. If they had faith in the promise, the book of Hebrews chapter number 10 tells us that they would have lived in the land that God promised them. But they did not have faith in the promise. They backed away from that, did what was right in their own eyes, and suffered the consequences. But God promised them that he would do the work in their heart simply by having faith in the promise that he had given them. Why is this important? It's because in the land, this, po- this task was basically impossible for them. That's why they had to have their hearts circumcised. But in terms of salvation, it was utterly impossible. There's no way that they can come into this. It's imposs- and it's the impossible task that we see in verse 6 and 7. And again, Paul quoting the verses in Deuteronomy, he says... Are you going to go up to heaven? To, and he, what he does is he ties uh, what was said in Deuteronomy and he ties it into Christ so they understand the true meaning of what was being said. Yes, if they would have faith in the promise, then they would have lived in the land because God was going to circumcise their heart. But God has promised that if you have faith in his son, you will live eternally because he's going to circumcise your heart. That's why we have baptism. It's a picture of what God has done to our hearts. They've died in Christ. They've been risen again. Paul's saying, this isn't contingent on you. You said, when you were promised the land, how are we going to keep these things? We've got to go to heaven and bring it down. We've got to go across the sea and bring it back. No, on either one of those, because God's going to do the work. And in terms of Christ, he's pointing them to the preeminent Son of God. He says, do you need to go to heaven and bring Christ down? The answer is no. Do you need to go into the grave and bring Christ up? The answer is no. What Paul is saying, and he's pointing again back to the original plan of God. He's saying, God planned on incarnating himself in flesh and coming to you. You don't have to go get him. He's coming to you. And that's what we're celebrating this time of year is the incarnation of Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. He came down already. We don't have to go get him. We don't have to go to heaven because that's impossible in and of itself. But we don't have to go to heaven like John did and try and find somebody who's worthy to do these things. Because there's already a lamb that's been slain from the foundation of the earth. He said, you're not going to have to go pull him down from heaven because you can't do that. And I don't think any of us can raise the dead either. We might think we have some kind of part in birth. Not in the incarnate birth of Christ, but in some kind of part in birth, even though we really don't. And anybody who struggles with any kind of infertility can tell you that. We can't choose when and when we do and when we don't have children. Because there's a couple of my children, and they're too young to know what I'm getting ready to say, that if we could have chose, they may not would have been here when they came. Because we don't have as much of a hand in that as we think we do. But just like... Paul said, you don't have to go get him and bring him down. He said, you don't have to go and resurrect him either because that was part of the plan too. And he's getting ready to reference that again. But he's saying that impossible task that was impossible for you to stay in the land. And all you had to do was trust God is the same thing that you have got to do in order to see the culmination of this plan that you misunderstood anyway. If you want to see the spiritual workings of what God's plan was originally, look at Christ because He was always the plan. 
And that's what he's saying. He's saying this impossible task was already planned out for you. You couldn't stay in the land. You were supposed to look to God to do it for you. And you're not going to get to God. You're not going to get to heaven. You've got to look at God to do that for you as well. He's going to explain to us how that works in showing us the progression of our confession. In verse number 8 through 10, Paul begins and he says, and this is concluding his passage in Deuteronomy. If you were to look back in Deuteronomy, this is verse number 14 of verses 12 and 13. But he quoting that, he says in verse number 8, he said, But what saith this? So he's saying, what does it say there in Deuteronomy? For us, it's Deuteronomy chapter 30. For them, there was no chapter, there was no verse. But he said, what does it say? He said, if you go back and you read it, what does it say? It says, the word is nigh thee. It's nigh thee. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart, he said, God told you, you had, and what did he tell you? The people were to bind the law on their heads and to wear it on their chest. They were to put it on the door of their house. It was supposed to be before them at all times. So they remembered that it wasn't about them. It was about God. But he says, he says, that's what it said. It you knew that this, this was right there in your mind and on your lips. These were part of what you had. And he's going he's gonna to show us again Christ. He's going to say, that is the word of faith which we preach. He said, what I've been trying to tell you, what my desire and my prayer for you to see is that it wasn't about you then and it's not about you now. This is the word of faith. Faith is saying to you. Faith is speaking to you to explain to you that even now the word is nigh. What did, we understand in Deuteronomy 30, 14 that the word was nigh to them, them there. But again, to reference John, John said that they beheld the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. They beheld the word incarnate. The word was nigh unto them. And they were even speaking of him from the Old Testament. He said, you have this right here at your fingertips. I just need you to see it. That was Paul's desire, that they would see those things. But he's going to explain to them what he is preaching. The progression of their confession. Verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now we can't get mixed up in what Paul's saying here. Because Paul has taken the context of two Old Testament passages and interwoven them into the context of chapter number 10. And if we miss the context of chapter number 10, and by default mix the context of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, then we're going to miss what Paul is saying here. Because what Paul says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, if we don't look at this correctly, we're going to think that Paul is adding something to salvation. And he's not. Paul has been explicit 
for at least eight chapters of his book to the Romans that salvation is by faith alone. Nothing more, nothing less, faith alone. And he's not trying to contradict himself here. He's not saying that you have to have a confession in order to obtain the possession of Christ. That's why we need to see the progression of how this happens. He says, If thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This is the same thing that he was showing or, or saying in verse number one. Paul is saying to these Jewish people, he said, I want you, my heart's desire, my prayer is that you are saved, that you see that salvation. He wanted them to see the fulfillment of God's promises to them. Worked out practically, he wasn't saying that if you get confessed with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, that you are going to be saved in the way that we are seeing things as being saved. We understand because he even says here, he clarifies what he's saying. He said, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What Paul is saying is that the confession will give you life the way that you're looking for life. And he's going to clarify that in verse number 10. When Paul says here in verse number 9, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He uses the same word in verse number 10 to explain. So he says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And the word righteousness here is the same word that Paul has been using for justification. So Paul is saying, if you want to be justified before God, believe in your heart. It's that trust that Paul's over and over been trying to convey to the Romans, but he's pointing these Jewish, ethnic Jews, if we want to call them that, he's pointing this Jewish audience to the fact that they just have to believe in the same thing that their fathers and their father's fathers had been told. What were they told? They were saying, if you believe in the promise, then God's going to do all these things for you. That was the only thing they had to do. And again, if, if you go read Romans, or not Romans, if you go read Hebrews chapters 10 and 11, it, it explains all of what Paul is saying here. But what the gist that he's trying to get across, he said, if you want to be justified... You believe in your heart. You trust. You get rid of all of the things that you can do. You get rid of your own obedience. You get rid of everything that you're bringing to the table. And you simply trust the fact that God has already done it for you. You're simply trusting that Christ came down instead of you having to go get Him. He came down for you. And that He rose from the dead for your justification. You simply trust that. And you don't have to try and go get him. You don't have to try and pull him up from the dead. Because that's the gospel message. And in essence, the gospel message to this audience here was you need to quit trying and just look to Christ. Because he's already done everything for you. But what he's conveying to them is he's conveying to them the promise that they're looking for. And that's why he says and mentions the confession here. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, or unto justification, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And again, Paul uses that word salvation there, what we would see as glorification. Paul's saying if you want the privileges of the new Jerusalem, if you want the privileges of this kingdom that your fathers were promised, if you want the privileges of all of these things displayed in your life and found after your death, then it's going to come from a confession. And that confession wasn't necessarily them saying some kind of magic prayer. It wasn't from them getting up in front of everybody else they knew and said, you know, well, I just got saved. I'm, I'm going I'm to follow Jesus now. That's not what Paul was saying. Those aren't bad things. But that's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying that if you want to have the promises that you weren't able to obtain in the Old Testament because you were trusting yourself, then you are not only going to have to believe, but you're going to have to confess. But again, taking us back to Deuteronomy, that confession is going to happen by the circumcision of their heart. And the circumcision of their heart is going to happen by the belief. Paul wasn't giving them another requirement to gain salvation. He was saying, if you believe, you're going to confess. And if you confess, you're going to live in the will and in the purposes of God, bringing forth the kingdom of God. That's what each and every one of us are doing. And we'll see next week that this, come, this, this whole promise, Paul shows that it's for everybody. If you want to look real quickly at verse number 13, he says, Whosoever shall call. He's not saying it's just for the Jews. He's saying everybody's involved in the promise this time. Just like you saw Ruth and Rahab and some of those other people come in in the Old Testament. They were involved in the promise. But this time it's everybody. No exclusions, nothing. It's for everybody because that's what Christ came to do. But he's pointing to the confession. And I know we've referenced this in the book of Psalms. Paul, not Paul. Paul wasn't around in the book of Psalms. David, over and over in the book of Psalms, he says a phrase. He says, he says, bless the Lord, all my soul. And then what does he follow that up with? All is one to me. But what, what, what happens? What happens after he blesses the Lord in his soul? Inevitably, praise comes out. The inward affects the outward. And that's what Paul is bringing to these people that he's speaking to in this chapter. He's saying, if you believe in your heart, God has promised your fathers that if they believed, He would circumcise their heart. The Word was nigh unto them. He would take care of everything that needed to be taken care of. And if you'll do that, you're going to see evidenced in that belief, this confession. And the inside is going to change the outside. Because what were they constantly doing? They were, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He said, you are so busy cleaning the outside of the cup, you forget the inside is filthy. And you're so busy painting the outside of your tombs, you forget that the inside is only bringing forth corruption and death. You've missed the point. You're trying to work from the outside in, but he's saying you've got to work from the inside out. You're not even doing the work because God had promised to circumcise their hearts. The promise of this new covenant that Jesus enacted was, it wasn't just prom 
Many times we'll look back to Jeremiah when they're in, in captivity in Babylon, promising that somebody's going to come and he's going to rescue you from this. And he's going to, what does is, what is Jeremiah and even Ezekiel say? He said, he's going to take your heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. He's, going to, he's the only one who could take the spots of the leopard and make them spotless. He's the only one who can change the nature. So we saw the, the parts of this new covenant promised in Ezekiel and Jeremiah when they were in captivity in Babylon. But God was giving them the promise of this new covenant way back with Moses. He showed it to Abraham. That was the reason Abraham took Isaac up the mountain. He showed it to Abraham. Isaac was there. Isaac knew about it. Jacob was involved enough. He wrestled with God. He, he, he saw these things. So they had those patriarchs that actually saw that new covenant in physical form. And Moses comes along and God's giving it to him again. And he'll give it to him again and again and again. And why do they do? They keep missing the point over and over and over. But Paul's desire was for them to be able to get a hold of that kingdom that they were looking for. That's what Paul wanted for them. He said, I want you to see what you're looking for because I've seen it. I understand it now. The Old Testament is completely open to me because I can see the New Test or the Old Testament through the book or through the person of Christ. It's the faith alone. And that's ultimately what Paul is trying to get them to understand. He said, faith is speaking to you. Faith is trying to tell you that you don't have to do these things. God's going to do it in you. And his prayer was that they would see that. And not just that they would see that, and not just that they would believe that in their mind and in their heart, but that he would see that being confessed in their life. Because if people were getting a hold of that and confessing that in their life and the gospel is changing those people, they're going to start to see that kingdom of God that they were looking for. Jesus even, Jesus even said, he said, the kingdom of God is now. I, he, in essence, Jesus was saying, I am the kingdom of God. And Paul, later on, he writes to the Ephesians, he says, Jesus is the cornerstone that has built a building. He talks about a building being built. Ephesians chapter number three. He says, Jesus is the cornerstone. He said, the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. He said, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they both intersect with Christ. And that's the foundation of what we're building on. He said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you're going to have to see it the way that God sees it. And God sees the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening.